0: everybody welcome back to another match of nerdgasm i am your host tonight tim the hulk berkala i am joined by two other uh exciting judges people that i like dare i say love in some situations uh we are gonna move first to that uh person i love and that
1: is cody newberry cody how are you doing uh great Uh, uh this should be a fun match uh this should be a lot better than the last match that I had to judge for um, uh, Don't Trigger Code. That was rough. Uh, these two are very skilled. Um, they're very passionate. Um, so I'm excited for – I think this is It's going to be one of the best matches of the season because I think they both had great – if Bowman could ever got a match beforehand, like, Bowman would be fantastic. But Jacoby has done a really good job in his previous matches, so I'm excited to see who actually wins out of this one.
0: Yes, and uh, down to another person I do love is uh, Maggie Bercala. How are you tonight? My
2: love. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'm good. (laughs) Here to judge an orgasm again. Um, Definitely excited to watch these two competitors. I think they're going to be really great. Um, I haven't seen either of them debate before, but what I know of them is people. They are quite funny and opinionated people, so it should be good.
0: Yeah. And as Cody said, um, yeah, Boatman actually got a bit of a bye last time. We you know, behind the scenes stuff, it is what it is. But he hasn't actually played since his debut. So Jacoby's got one match on him. Will that he happen? tried? He tried. He, he tried. tried. He did. We, we tried. There were t- two times. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Behind the scenes stuff. It wasn't because of it. Like it, was, it was a lot of different stuff. But, um, so Jacoby does have one match on him. Will that make a difference? We will see. But let's actually bring in Jacoby right now just to see how he's feeling. Jacoby, welcome. You are 2-0. and oh. Your last match you played was against who? It was Jim Green, I believe. Mr. Jim um, Green? Yeah, that was a fun match. Are you excited for this match today?
3: excited is a, is a very old word because like for these matches they're ex, ex, exciting is uh, nerve-wracking is is what it is I know how good of, of a competitor and just overall person that boatman is I think Boatman does everything he's perfect at it and he's just great at it now you know he is now he has facial hair like I, I thought, thought facial hair would be like the only thing I have above boatman and now he's starting to grow it too so um, either way I guess we should talk about debating debating is gonna be fun we're gonna do that and we're gonna have a good time
0: all right. And we'll bring in the other competitor, Caleb Boatman. Uh, Boatman, how are you doing tonight? Are you excited? Are you a little nervous since you haven't played in a while? What's your thoughts going into this?
4: January 2019, I messaged Brooklyn Vale being like, hey, I'd like to play a Nerdgasm debate. August 2019, I finally get a match. Then I choose. I'm supposed to play somebody. They drop out. I'm supposed to play somebody else. They drop out. Now it is March 26, thousand twenty. And I finally get a match and it's against somebody it's against Jacoby, who is really good. And there's a good chance I might lose to him and I'll be one and one and then I won't be back until twenty twenty one, everybody.
3: Woo, that, Should I uh, drop uh, out? Should I just do a surprise? Drop out like psych and then and then and
1: then please, please don't. don't.
3: For <laughs> my sanity, please don't. <laughs> All right,
0: guys. Um well We are going to get right into uh, question number one. The way this is going to work is you are each going to get one minute for your opening arguments. Uh, There will be five minutes of free-form debate, and then uh, I believe we changed it to one-minute closing argument. Cody, is that correct? That's what we did with the exhibition is one-minute closing as well. So um, we are going to start with the first question, which is in the category of Game of Thrones. And the question is, what is the best season of Game of Thrones? Uh, We are going to start with Jacoby on this one. Jacoby, you have one minute to start your argument when
3: you start talking. uh, The best season of Game of Thrones is Game of Thrones season four. This was the season that was not only packed to the brim with amazing individual moments like the extremely satisfying death of Joffrey, the first introduction of the Night King, the epic and brutal Mountain v. Viper fight, the Littlefinger reveal, and literally everything with Tyrion ranging from his trial to to his escape. Those were all great individual moments worthy of making this the best season but what season four also does is give the best season-wide arcs and payoffs to almost all of its characters. Tyrion's relationship with his family was severed. Danny had to learn the difference between liberation and conquering. Sansa stepped out of her dancer role and hinted at the leader that she would become. Arya started her badass streak thanks to the Hound, and Jon showed why he was a true king thanks to the navigating the, uh, the, the fight between the Night's Watch and the Wild. Both for its three, individual three, moments two, and
4: character arcs, one, season
3: four was the best. Time. Okay.
0: So, we'll bring in Boatman for your opening argument. You have one minute when you start talking.
4: Season six of Game of Thrones is where the story most capitalizes on its narrative buildup. Like, everything comes to a head in season six of Game of Thrones. And I think that's, like, very important. All the elements of the show of Game of Thrones really, like, shine here. It's everything. All the characters coming together, really. Um, I think uh, you get uh, Sansa and John's reunion, which is fantastic. Uh, you get the Battle of the Bastards, which is one of the best sequences in all of Game of Thrones history. The battle. Just when uh, Jon Snow's brother is killed in that start of the sequence, it's fantastic. It's incredible elements. It's borrowing from Akira Kurosawa's film Ran. It feels what Game of Thrones does best, which is make a TV series feel cinematic. This feels like something that you could only do on TV, but it has the production value and quality of a cinematic film.
0: Okay. Finishing about five seconds early, but you guys got five minutes of free form whenever one of you starts talking.
3: Um, I'm really happy you brought up the Battle of Bastards because I agree that it was a technical marvel of a of a battle and everything was great. But the problem that I have with the battle is co- is is indicative of what I have of the season overall. It's 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 set up by stupid character motivations. This was the start of characters being stupid. You can talk about Recon's death being cinematic and everything, but the fact that he ran in a straight line while shooting an arrow at him is dumb.
4: Okay, but that's the thing, is that the way that that was set up, we thought that Rickon wasn't going to die. And the way that it was set up cinematically, you can say, oh, he ran into it. But no, he was trying to get away. It's just the way that the arrows... The, I can't remember the archer's name, but he's just a really good shot. That's what that's meant to set up cinematically. And then that's meant to really uh encourage Jon Snow's motivation, who's the important character in that sequence here. Uh Yeah. But that's the problem, is
3: that it... it, it Season six tries to be cinematic when it forgoes character decisions overall. Rickon should have dodged. He's dumb for not doing that. That battle of the bastards is a great cinematic moment. But the fact that Sansa withheld the fact that the Knights of the Vale were on their way was a stupid character decision only meant to drive up suspense for the battle. And that's indicative of the season overall. Characters made dumb decisions in order to enhance the cinematic of the battle. Where well, you look at season four, where every moment that you had was made by a smart character choice. And I think that's the difference between our two seasons.
4: But you can talk about smart character choices all you want, and that's important. But ultimately, I think the actual quality of episode-to-episode, I think that's like a little nitpick. I think the actual cinematic quality of season six is what makes it so great. I think the problem with season four is I think episode-to-episode, there are some not great... I think episode 10 is kind of weak and gets really boring at times. Like, I think... Uh, and then there's just some weird stuff going on. Um, you know, I think Brand's trek across the north gets really boring. There's just a lot of like non-interesting stuff going on in the season.
3: I mean, you talk about boring things that happen. Your season, season six, had to carry the baggage of season five, which meant it continued on the two worst storylines the show has done, which is the religious movement in King's Landing with the High Sparrow and Arya's training in Braavos. Both of those had well ran past their expiration date by the time it reached to an end, which which I agree. It, what you said in your opening, it leads to a great ending, but the lead-up to get there was tedious and a bit of a slog. My episodes were based on... Um, individual moments that happened early on in the seasons that set these characters on more interesting paths. Yours things kind of, they had to
4: wait until the end for things to happen. Your season carries on the mystery of Joffrey's death, which goes on way too long. Like Joffrey's actual death. Sure. That's a fine sequence, but ultimately we're trying to figure out who killed Joffrey when really we all hated Joffrey. We're glad he's dead. Like who cares who killed Joffrey? He's dead. Good job.
3: But let's compare that to what your season two event was, which is the resurrection of Don Snow. Because both of those moments are very similar because they both got, it both happened at the end of season two, where your thing was the least surprising thing ever and wasted two episodes to get there. Joffrey's thing was truly a surprise. And what Joffrey's death did, even though it's not a mystery, what it does is send every character into great new directions. It led Sansa to become more powerful. It led Jamie to go, Jamie and Cersei to be a path of just being nervous and afraid. And it led Tyrion to disembark from his family.
4: It meant something. Jon Snow coming back actually brought in interesting character motivations, so though. You can say, oh, he's not coming, but ultimately it doesn't matter because it brought back the interest, uh, the interesting character of Jon Snow, one of Game of Thrones' best, iconic, most memorable characters. That's the thing, uh, that season six bringing back Jon Snow, where you waste time trying to figure out Joffrey's murder when we don't even care. Joffrey's dead. Who cares? I don't care who killed him. The goal of Joffrey's murder is not figuring out who murdered him.
3: It's the impact that it has on the characters, and that's what the question is. The best season overall is the season of what these characters can do, and that's why season four is better. Season One six, minute. when John, when season six, when John comes back, he's just there, and all it is is motivation to get him to Winterfell. It has no impact on any of
4: the other characters, and it's something we all knew was coming. But episode, the thing is episode to episode. I think if you look at it, I think there might be boring. Storyline elements, but I think episode the episode Game of Thrones season six keep things cinematic. Where I think your episodes are very inconsistent in terms of quality, and I think that's one of the biggest issues. My episodes are very consistent
3: from episode to episode. You're the ones who get marred down by bad storylines by 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 Tyrion becoming an idiot, by Danny having a very uh, story that lacks any sort of nuance like whatsoever. Every Arya doing that, Sansa becoming just a bitch, which is what she not is like overall. Overall mine's a more cohesive season from episode to episode five and season four, <laughs> three, season four had better individual moments overall than season five six. all
0: right <laughs> so for the record going forward, when I come in and do that that means you got 10 seconds left and then I'm, I'll count you down at five <laughs> um, okay so uh, we are going to start with Caleb for your closing argument Caleb, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking.
4: Sansa doesn't just become a bitch. She's actually getting character development from who she was. That's the thing. This season is a season full of character development, and it's a season full of great cinematic moments. You can say, oh, some of the character motivations don't make sense. Oh, there's this thing. Oh, there's this thing. Like... There's storylines that don't, like, add up or something. But ultimately, it's about the experience of Game of Thrones. And I think as the experience of the season, season six is such a wide range of a season, where season four just feels a little too small. It's a little too... this Episode 10 is really boring. There are just so many things. Brands Trek Across the North just really doesn't work. There are so many things about season four that really just doesn't work and doesn't add up. I think at the end of the day, season six is what people are going to remember about Game of Thrones. Season four is not.
0: Okay. Finishing up about ten seconds early, we will bring in Jacoby for your final argument. You've got one minute when you start talking.
3: Both of our seasons are actually, I think, really similar, but season one, I think one up season six in almost every way. I mean, if you look at it, both of ours started with a shocking moment in episode two that drove the rest of the season. But whereas Joffrey's death gave everyone in King's Landing an amazing story arc, Jon's resurrection was the least surprising thing ever, and then it did nothing for the characters. I mean, uh, both of our seasons had Arya learn how to be deadlier thanks to a mentor, but where Arya learned from the amazing Hound in season four, she had a very confusing and unclear mentor in Hagar in season six, which was a waste of time. All of the characters go through something similar and all their character development happens in season four um so i would say the main point of why season four is the best season is because it's not only defined by individual great moments but it's also amazingly consistent character arcs that didn't betray our favorite characters intelligence just for the sake of moving the plot along i mean we can all agree that season eight was poor storytelling But if you look, a lot of those problems started in Season 6. It may have been cinematic, but it wasn't good storytelling. Time. Okay. Whoo,
0: boy. Um, All right. That was a fight. Um, I will start. Um, I think – I don't know if Bowman's ever seen Game of Thrones. (laughs) You put up a hell of a fight. A hell of a fight. Way better than I honestly thought he was going to, um, in my opinion. Um, I think both competitors did a really good job of attacking the other person's season. Uh, but I think when it came down to defending their season and why their season was better, I think Jacoby actually uh won this one out i think he did a really good job of saying the specific things that were wrong with season six uh specifically about characters and storyline stuff and boatman kind of you know hung up on a couple specific things about season four being bad but didn't really have much to say good about his season beyond it being cinematic um so that's why i'm giving my point to Jacoby cody i will go to you next what do you think on this one
1: Uh, You know, Bowman hasn't seen Game of Thrones when in his opening speech he says Game of Thrones five times. Um, And then points out the biggest scene of Battle of the Bastards. So it was Battle of the Bastards versus season four. And (laughs) Jacoby had arguably the best opening to any debate I have ever seen, ever. He literally laid out the season for me, and I didn't, like, everything kept flowing back. Personally, take my own viewpoints, I think season four is pretty much the best season of Game of Thrones. But he outlined it, and Boatman, all he pretty much brought up was, Joffrey's dead, who cares? But without that, he pretty much points out that you lose everything, so I have to give it to Jacoby. But thanks, Boatman, you didn't just cave in and say, I don't know what I'm going to say. So I appreciate you fighting till the end.
0: All right. Well, so that means Jacoby does get the first point. Maggie, your vote didn't count, but where would you have
2: gone? I would have given it to Jacoby. I agree that Bowen did put up a good fight, but I think Jacoby did have much more specific points. I totally agree that his opening argument was great. I like literally have this long list of things and he just like walked it through. Um, I think that Bowman's argument about it being cinematic is definitely relevant, but he did really just stick with the one thing, and he just kept saying that season four was boring, where Jacoby also responded with that, but with more specific moments, so...
0: Yeah. All right. Well, so Jacoby does get the first point, but we are going to move on to question number two. I thought this was to... supposed to be
3: about movies. <laughs> <laughs> we... it was about a year ago
1: when you were supposed to get your original match. Yeah, yeah. Yep, we yep, kept yep. two t. Well, to be fair, we kept two TV categories versus the fifteen we had prior. That's accurate.
0: That's true. The only ones that are still here are this and Doctor Who, I believe. So yes, yeah, so those are the only yep. two remaining uh Co-ho put up a good fight for uh Doctor Who and he's not even here. So oh, yes. anyway, we will uh we'll move on to question number 2 which is in the category of Disney animation. Uh the question is what Disney animated movie should get a sequel? Uh we are going to start with uh Boatman on this one. Boatman, you have 1 minute to open your
4: argument whenever you start talking. Okay, I'm going with a movie that I think has the most directions that it can go to. I think uh, I'm going with Moana here because I, while I, I did really enjoy Moana, I think it was a film that had really great characters, but I think the story itself was a little bit lacking. But I think that's because the movie should have started when it ended. I think now Moana is the chief. She's the wayfinder. Now she's got her people beside her. I think now this is when uh, it's going to get very, very interesting as we go on and see where things are going to go. We can bring Maui back in. We can go in so many different directions as far as where the story's going to go. I think we can have her people, you know... Uh, she's taking her people now. She's conflicted, conflicted, because now she actually has to be the chief. She has to be the one in charge. She can't rely on her father. She has to be responsible for all these other people now.
0: Okay. Ending about five seconds early, but Jacoby, it is your turn for your opening argument. One minute when you start talking.
3: When you're looking at making a sequel to a popular film, I think you should ask two questions. One, is the world established in the first film interesting enough to keep exploring? And two, do the characters in the movie warrant more adventures? For Zootopia, the answer is a resounding yes. Not only have we just scratched the surface on all the creative ins and outs that the city of Zootopia has to offer, but at its core, it's a buddy cop franchise. Judy Hopps and Nick Wilde formed an amazing partnership in the first movie, and it's so easy to see why we should have more adventures with them in this stunning animal world. I mean, sequels oftentimes undercut the message that the previous movie laid out for the sake of drama and story, but a Zootopia sequel is most likely to avoid that by continuing the cop adventures of our main characters as they investigate more cases related to social commentary with an animal-infused tinge. Zootopia should get a sequel. Or Okay. All
0: right. We've got Moana versus Zootopia. You guys got five minutes whenever you start talking.
4: I think Zootopia was a really, really great movie, but I think ultimately... I don't know where Judy and Nick's relationship is going to go. I think either the movies going to have to just kind of act like the first movie didn't happen, except now Nick's a cop and just have for have some forced emotional conflict. I think Judy and Nick's relationship is perfect the way it is right now. I think Moana, she can have so many different uh, dynamics now. I think that's where it's going to be more interesting.
3: Um, I when, I when I was thinking about this, I related back to Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon, uh, the franchise itself didn't get boring after Murtaugh and Riggs solved their conflict in the first one. No, it became more interesting in the second one because now they're on their same side, handling cases in a different way, and it still created a great movie. So, I think overall, you can still have a great uh movie going forward. And you said it yourself, I think it's like the second movie, start with the first one, did I'm sorry, you do that because that happens in the first movie the first Moana movie and great way where the voyagers going off into the unknown and that by, by having a sequel you answer that question and I think
4: that undercuts the powerfulness of the first movie I don't think it undercuts because now we actually get resolution to the conflict that was set at the end of the movie. I think with Zootopia, you're bringing up Lethal Weapon. You know what the biggest problem with Lethal Weapon 2 is? It's the fact that Riggs Riggs and Murtra are the least interesting part. The reason why Lethal Weapon 2 is so great is because you have Joe Pesci in there as Leo gets. That's really the great thing about why everybody likes Lethal Weapon 2. So I don't think just because Lethal Weapon 2 worked with it, that Zootopia 2 would work with it. And I think with Moana, again... You can have so many different dynamics now with the villagers and all this other stuff. I think bringing Maui back in and you know, because now they've solved they solved the problem, but Maui's still kind of an egotistical dick, and I think that's something where you can go more interesting with that. You talk about it's like
3: Moana has so many different directions you go. No, it has. They have more islands to discover. Like that's like that's like the main point of it. With Zootopia, you have this world, you have this city where different crimes can happen, where different events can happen, where a, a million different directions that you can go with this thing. Lethal Weapon Two was not a success just for Joe Pesci. Lethal Weapon Two was great because of the world around it, and that's what Zootopia creates. And that's when you should make a sequel from a movie when your world is interesting enough. Moana and Maui's character arc are done. They solved their problems, and they're going on. Anything else is just
4: an add-on. It should not have a sequel because the first movie did enough. Zootopia's world is kind of bled dry. I feel like all the animal jokes that they have, they've made. They're done. I feel like anything else, it would just be repeating the same jokes and it would get very old and very annoying and be like, wink, wink, remember the sloth? Wink, wink, remember this? With Moana, you're right. You have an open, vast ocean with so many islands, so many different characters that you can introduce and put in. I'm not really like trying to pitch this movie i'm not trying to come up with a story because i don't think i'm better than the disney writers i think the disney writers would be smarter with a moana sequel than they would be with the zootopia sequel i think moana was a film that was very important to a lot of young girls whereas i think zootopia was a film that a lot of people really like but ultimately like you can say the social issues but if you look at like Paulo Yama's breakdown of why the social issues represented in the Utopia really weren't like okay.
3: Sure, but um, but I would say overall the theme is stronger. You say that Moana has this self discovery that, that she goes for. That's fine, but any recent Disney movie, all of them have that team of self discovery and believing in yourself that you see in Moana. But Zootopia took a very real world problem with racism and stereotypes and told a super important story about it. I think the world, especially now, needs more from the Zootopia franchise because it's trying to do something different than what every other princess uh, Disney movie is. And Moana, even though it is a little bit different, it still falls under that umbrella. Zootopia represents a branch off into something exciting and new in order for it to continue on and it does
4: so with great characters who can work together and and, and have more One minute Well the thing is with Moana though we are getting an angle that we haven't seen before because now Moana is actually getting to be the chief, she's getting to be in charge she's getting to be the the ruler of her people where you can argue that Frozen 2 tried to do that and Frozen tried to do that but really Elsa's always off on her own so she really doesn't get to rule this will be the first time we actually get to see a character get to the the princess get to actually be in charge of her people. And Zootopia, the first one, it was very much the they dealt with the racism very much in a black and white way, uh, not to pun not intended, in very much like a a very basic way, and I get that so kids can understand, but I think ultimately that hurts the the social issues.
3: I don't. I don't think it does at all. I think the the the, the social issues are what' important, especially now. You said it before that Frozen did it already. The arc right, that Moana is going to go through four, with that. Zootopia is at two, least going to do something different two, with the sequel moving forward. Time. Okay.
0: Good job, guys. Um, we are going to start with uh, I forget Caleb. I believe right. Who just started this one? I started. Okay, so that means. Uh, Jacoby you were starting this one my bad sorry guys okay uh, one minute when you start talking Jacoby to close your argument
3: Okay, the question is what Disney movie should get a sequel. And the short answer to that is the one that continued the story of the first one organically. A lot of Disney movies feel standalone, and Moana is definitely one of them. I mean, it had an open and shut story and ended with the Voyagers going off not knowing what's out there. It's powerful stuff, and that ambiguous ending should remain that way. But Zootopia gave us this incredible and intricate world that still has so much to explore. A Zootopia sequel is in just this really incredibly rare position where not only can we see more classic cop and detective stories with a clever animal spin, which the writers can definitely handle, but also the very nature of it being a buddy cop formula means that it can tie into the themes of the first while doing something different in the second without hurting its legacy. On top of the fact that Judy and Nick are both more well-rounded characters whose relationships I want to see more of. Maui and Moana finish their issues. Nick and Judy have more to go. Zootopia should get a sequel. Time.
0: All right. Boatman, one minute when you start talking to close.
4: Uh, To kind of counteract Jacoby's point from earlier, I don't think Elsa... Uh, took the same direction as Moana. As I said, Elsa was on her own the whole time. Now Moana's actually going to get to be with her people, so we're going to get more with the islanders and all that stuff. And I think that's where Moana's going to shine is. We're going to get more with her actual people, more going on. We're going to get to see more of the island. At the end of the day, Zootopia, it was a one story, and the best you're going to get is a bunch of cop, cliché, cop movie cliches done with animals, like Jacoby said. I'll yield the rest of my time.
0: Okay. Ending about 30 seconds early, but, oh, sorry, uh, but it is what it is. Um, okay, so, uh, Cody, I'm going to have you lead this one.
1: Where are you leaning on Moana versus Utopia? Um, I thought it was a lot closer entering the rebuttals or the final statements, closing statements. And then... Bowman uses his time to defend why Moana's not Elsa, why it's not that state. Um, but I felt like Jacoby gave me the full-on argument like overall like where everything should go and why. I, I think they both kind of painted the pictures that they're not the writers for Disney, so they can't really tell you where they think they go, but I think one of the main... I'm giving my point to Jacoby because I think my main argument was I think Jacoby was able to drive home the fact that Moana's story ended and why do we need to see that? I didn't hear a great rebuttal of why, besides the villagers and the, the travel, Like, what what are they doing? I know he's not a writer, but I want to know something. But he at least pitched another buddy cop where they go with ties back to Lethal Weapon, which is a successful franchise, so... I'm going to go Jacoby. I just think he gave me more. All right.
0: Maggie, you are next. Where are you leaning on this one?
2: I hate doing this because it's really hard. I I think that they both, you know, came up with good reasons for why their movie should be have the next sequel. Um, They both, you know, had very solid arguments, specifically their opening arguments and they had good comebacks for each other. Um, I have to agree with Cody, I think, in that. I think Jacoby's closing argument really like sort of like summarized the whole thing and left me feeling like understanding what he was trying to say, where I'm but I think Jacoby just presented it more um coherently, um, or leaving it coherently with the closing argument. Um, so I think I have to give the point to him as well.
0: Okay, so that means Jacoby does get the second point. My vote didn't count, but I actually would have given it to Boatman. Um, I thought Boatman, despite his lackluster closing, um, I think he did a lot more offense against why Zootopia wouldn't be a good sequel um, versus uh, Jacoby's offense, and I thought he actually defended Moana uh pretty pretty well uh in my opinion but again my vote didn't count so jacoby does get the second point and we are going to move on to question number three uh if i'm not mistaken boatman needs this point in order to move on in the match and question number three is going to be what is the best batman performance We are looking for uh, not Worlds of DC, so Ben Affleck does not count. And we need the actor and the film in which you are arguing. Uh, We are going to start with Jacoby on this one. So Jacoby, you have one minute uh, to open whenever you start talking.
3: The best Batman performance is the performance that captures the essence of Batman. And no one does it better than Kevin Conroy in Mask of the Phantasm. And one of the main reasons for that is because we get to see the entire Batman story in one film, in just one movie. We see a young, happier Bruce Wayne just starting off his Batman journey. We see a troubled and tortured newbie Batman. We see a Batman who's been doing this for years and has lost a bit of his humanity. We see the Bruce Wayne persona out in full force. And we see see a batman who after years of isolating himself from love opens himself up again only to be crushed by betrayal that last one may be a common theme here this is the batman movie that sees batman pleading with his parents grave to release him from the promise he made and realizing he is doomed to live this life forever and all of that is done perfectly through a voice performance that's why hands down conroy gives the best batman performance in batman mask of the Phantasm
0: time all right boatman you now have one minute to open when you start talking
4: i think you have to look at this you know at the actors as a whole but it's specific movie specific performance so i'm going with christian bale as the dark knight rises and i think with the Dark Knight Rises, Christian Bale is doing everything that he did in the in the Dark Knight and Batman Begins, but I think he's doing it at his best here. And he's adding the fact that in this one, Bruce Wayne, there are moments where he feels like he's at the end. He is barely holding on to his life here, and I think that's perfect. Um, I think we get moments where he's more like you know uh, douchey Bruce, douchey Bruce Wayne. Uh, when he's interacting with selena Kyle, we more get rich boy rich uh, bruce wayne we get more powerful batman towards the end but then at the very end we get end of his life bruce wayne so i think christian bale's playing all the elements in the dark knight rises and i think that's where he's at the top of his game here
0: okay all right guys you've got five minutes free form on uh Christian Bale, Dark Knight Rises versus Conroy Phantasm when one of you starts talking.
3: I have a ton of problems with Bale's Dark Knight Rise performance. And here's one of the biggest. We never see what Batman is feeling. We are told it. Rewatching this movie, all the characters tell Batman directly what he's feeling. Alfred's like, you're alone, you're isolated, and you haven't moved on. But also, you have a death wish, and you want to get out there. We don't see that in Bale's performance. And this happens throughout the whole movie. We see Christian Bale blank face. And that's okay, but it's not the best performance, especially in a Batman movie, especially compared to Conroy.
4: If you took away that narration, you would still feel that from Christian Bale. He does, he is saying a lot, will saying very little. If you look at his eyes, he's doing so much with his eyes and his subtle facial expressions in this movie. And that's where Christian Bale really shines here. You can say, oh, we're being told, but that's the problem with the movie itself, not with Bale's performance. And we're arguing Bale's performance and not the movie here. The problem with Kevin Conroy is so much of his acting is being done by the animation. It's not just him. It's being done by the brilliant animators who are making this movie look amazing. That's the same argument here, where it's not the.
3: That's the problem with the movie itself, not the performance. The performance it comes through through his voice. Every emotion that you see comes through in the anime around that, and that's fine. Bale's performance is so blank and so one-sided, and it only captures a very small part of Batman, the sad part. Where Conroy's performance has a sad part section, but it also has your whole thing. If you want to talk about whole performances, like the the Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, Conroy's does the whole Dark Knight trilogy in one movie, while Bale's stuck playing a one-note sad and depressed, who gets told what to do all the time. and told how he's feeling.
4: But the the thing about uh, Batman, uh, the animation being about the movie, it's different though, because that is something that is enhancing the performance of Kevin Conroy that's helping him. So you shouldn't really be giving Kevin Conroy all the credit here. Whereas Christian Bale, the movie is hurting him, but he's still shining through. That's the thing about that. And I think we're not just seeing a bale that's just sad and depressed. No, we are seeing sad and depressed, but we are also seeing one who is seconds from death or seconds from just giving all up, giving it all up and just going away. And well, then we see one who's at acceptance and we see the great interactions with him and Selena Kyle. We do get more of like the traditional Bruce Wayne. So we're getting a lot of different elements where again. A lot of the things that are great about Kevin Conroy's Batman are not because of Kevin Conroy. And you also have the animated series where so many things are great from there and not just from the actual movie
3: but this is part about the actual batman performance itself and i think the argument should go to who gives the best overall performance for the character overall with 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 uh, christian bale and doing it where he's just told how he's feeling and he's very sad and depressed and even accepting of of death and everything which he's not because he faked his own death and it's fine and that shows the inconsistent with his overall performance i think because in one scene he's super sad and depressed but then you'll have him crack a quick joke to alfred which is totally out of line totally out of everything and it's not consistent with the batman character the best batman performance should be the best one for the batman character and the dark knight rises doesn't do the batman character justice and therefore Batman bale's performance can't be considered the best one
4: when people are depressed and they feel like they're giving up sometimes they do make jokes that's what depression looks like sometimes it's making jokes and all that stuff i think we are seeing a very very batman but we are seeing one that we also really haven't seen before in a in a feature film which is a batman that has been doing this forever and actually feels grizzled. Kevin Conroy does not feel grizzled. He does he not. Feel, sorry. He does he, not feel
3: grizzled. He absolutely does when you compare it to the beginning of the movie when he's just his first time out as Batman compared to the scene where he's um he's interviewing the bad guy from Die Hard, Ellis, the councilman in his hotel room, and he's scary. He's intimidating. He gets the job done because he's been doing this before, and he does it without doing a crappy Batman voice like Bale does.
0: One minute. Sorry. One minute.
4: Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He might be scary but he's not grizzled. He doesn't feel depressed. He never really feels like this is where I've been. I don't know where I'm going from here. I feel like everything is over. That's the element that Bale plays that Conroy does and everything else that Conroy is doing, Bale is doing. And again you have so much with Conroy that is helping him that it isn't just Conroy's voice. Like Conroy's voice is doing some work but it's not doing all the work. The animation, like. Sure, you're portraying a young Batman, but that's partially because of the animation and the way that Batman just looks young. He looks inexperienced.
3: I don't like that argument because it, it implies that because that, like your movie, it's like, oh, it's the, it's the directing of it. It's the score around the movie that's making you feel from this emotion. When it comes down to just mono imano mono people doing it, it's actually capturing the essence. And it's more impressive that a voice actor is going through all these emotions for cool. Batman, the character, than Bale is. Time Okay. All right. Um, Bowman,
0: we are going
1: to start with you for your closing argument. One minute when you
4: start talking. Christian Bale's Batman is one that feels, in The Dark Knight Rises, is one that doesn't just feel like he's on the end of the rope. He's playing so many different elements and so many different characters. And I think you can say, oh, there are problems with the movie. He's being told, you're being told what Bruce is feeling, but that's a problem with the movie. Ultimately, Bale is doing so much with his eyes. He's doing so much with his vocal expression. He feels frail. When he's climbing up that mountain, you feel the weight of everything. Bale is doing so much. It's not just his voice. It's everything about Bale. Conroy... Again, he's only doing the voice work. That's all Conroy is doing. And it's good, but that's one element of the character. He's not doing the entire elements of Batman. Conroy is just a voice performance. It's a very good voice performance. The best Batman voice performance. But it's just a voice performance. So it's so at the end of the day, Bale and Dark Knight Rises is the ultimate Batman performance.
0: Okay, time. All right. Jacoby, one minute for your
4: closing when you start talking. Uh, Conroy did
3: something amazing with Mask of the Phantasm. He delivered a performance that absolutely nailed every great thing about Batman's entire character, and he did it with just his voice. There has not been a performance in any Batman movie that has covered so many aspects of the Batman character like Conroy's. Even if you believe Bale is a better actor than Conroy, which, come on, I'm not, he is, the question is best Batman performance. And that should go to the guy who understands the character more than anyone else. I mean, one scene that you just can't get out of your head if you're talking about Weight of the Tower is a scene in Phantasm where Batman is pleading with his parents grave. It's one of the most powerful Batman-focused scenes ever because he's truly at a crossroads and is begging for the world to let him be happy for once, but he knows he can't. He knows his fate. That scene is just one great moment in a whole movie of character-driven, powerful Batman performances, and it's why Conroy gives the best Batman performance. It's so much just because the voice makes it more Impressive time okay.
0: Oofda, oofda, oompa dee doo. Um, okay, we are gonna start with Maggie on this one. So uh, Maggie, you get to go first. What are you leaning on? Bale versus Conroy.
2: This is really tough, you guys. You both had really good arguments for your character, and you really did you tried to throw the movie at each other and that did not work for either of you. So that cancels it out. Um, I think... Shit. I think I have to go with um, Boatman um, because I really think that the subtleties in um, Christian Bale's performance with like his face and his eyes are definitely something that um, plays into the character character's performance. um, And it is, you know, like he said, the Batman at the end of his life or end of his career as Batman. And I think that that um, really plays into Bale's performance. Um, I really thought that Jacoby's arguments were strong about it being the whole story. But I think that the Bale subtlety really is something that isn't necessarily captured in a voice performance.
0: Okay. Oh, shit <laughs> so I'll go next um, I think I think Maggie's totally right about the, the using the movies as like a, a back and forth I, I I don't care about the movies in this argument the uh, it's about the performance so bringing up you know uh, things about the movie, about the movie not being written well or being animated, I don't think really have a stake. Uh, so that being said, I'm going to give my point to Jacoby. I, I, think that, I think that Jacoby gave me specific examples of points in the movie with what Conroy is doing with the performance. While Boatman also did that, I think that he was just kind of, again, using parts. It's, fuck, it's so hard. I think he's just... I don't think it was as strong as Jacoby's performance uh, or talking about the uh, performance from the specific parts of the movie. So I'm going to give the slight edge to Jacoby, but it was honestly, it was it was really close. So I'm sorry, Cody, but you are... It is going to come down to you on this one.
1: Great. Um, so Jacoby fought a lot. Like, I like to fight. Is just like, he was pissed off about Boatman's choice and he let him know it in the first minute, which I appreciated a lot. But this this question is going to like raise the hardest question ever: Is voice acting the same as real acting when it comes to on screen? And they both painted me pictures of different things. Do I respect voice acting a thousand percent? I think voice acting should be nominated for stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they both went to the well for performance based, and that's what I wanted the question to be. But then it was really hard to attack Bale on all the stuff that he was adding to it, besides voice versus voice conroy wins but like they went at each other with such like you felt the feelings you felt all the stuff and bowman painted that picture for me i think they both showed so much stuff this is the clo- one of the closest uh classic debate line this is 51 49 i promise you it could go mm-hmm. either way but uh i have to no go Bowman on this one and it's nothing that i believe in real life it's just how it was presented is i have to give Bowman the point on this one question right. it didn't decide the winner so yay. All right.
0: So we are going to the final question of the prep round. If uh, Caleb gets this one, we will move on to the speed round. Uh, Jacoby uh, hits this one. The game is over and Jacoby will win. So let's see what happens. Guys, your question is in the category of Disney live action. And the question is, what is the best Disney live action sports movie uh we are going to start with uh jacoby no yes yes no um, yes yes
2: yes,
0: yes. yes. no no it's bowman it's we start with you oh you, start, you did start, start with yeah. me i'm an yeah. idiot so bowman i'm terrible at this uh boatman you get to start one minute uh best disney live action sports film when you start talking
4: okay I am going with a movie that I—I I will fully admit—I'm not a big sports guy. I am not. That being said, I know shocker, right? But I think this is the sports movie that I enjoy, that I love, that I quote. This is *Remember the Titans*. This is a movie that is not just about sports. Sports is the backdrop, but it's really about race relations in the 70s. And that's really what it's about. It's about community. It's about harmony. It's about all that. I think it's a film that has an incredible performance from Denzel Washington. It has a remarkable cast of memorable characters. But I think the best thing is the best sports movies aren't about the sport. And if you you take away the sport, it's still a great movie. That's what "Remember the Titans" is. That's why "Remember the Titans" works so well. It's because of the real life parallels and the real life uh, race relations going on in the movie. That's why "Remember the Titans" is one of the that be- is the best in live action sports film.
0: Time. Okay, Jacoby, one minute
3: when you start talking. Let me ask you something. Do you believe in miracles? I certainly do. After watching the best Disney live action sports film, Miracle, which tells the true story of the United States hockey team beating the unstoppable Russians in the 1980 Winter Olympics. And the reason why I think this is the best Disney live action sports film is because it tells an incredibly accurate, thrilling Character driven story that hits all the beats of your standard feel good sports movie without overindulging in cheesiness or forced sentimentality. A lot of Disney live action sports films are manufactured to manipulate you emotionally by changing up the story in order to make it more dramatic. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But Miracle doesn't have to change practically any of its true story. This is an incredible feel good inspiring story about overcoming differences to work together and beating an unstoppable. Force it teaches us, you know, the valuable lesson about how the path to greatness is not easy, but rather it's learned and it stands apart from every other yeah. Disney live action sport. Time okay, five
4: minutes free form. When you start talking, the biggest problem with Miracle is that the Miracle is about the coach and the players are indistinguishable, with the exception of the goalie, the players don't really matter, they all just feel like basic characters and that's the biggest problem with miracle that's that's perfectly fine because that's actually the point of the movie itself the
3: theme of the movie is not the individual work it's about coming together as a team and moving forward to win so the fact that the coach is the main character is the smartest thing that you could have done for that movie my biggest problem with remember the titans is that i'm sorry but a lot of your story is fake and manufactured and did not happen the way it was presented which is not wrong but it's just doesn't feel right
4: Okay, but the question is not most accurate Disney live-action sports movie. It's best Disney live-action sports movie. So I don't really care if the movie isn't inaccurate. And you can say, oh, you know, the rest of the cast isn't really supposed to be developed. But this is a movie where we're supposed to care about the team winning. I want the team to actually be interesting and have individuality in terms of characters. And that's the big problem. Remember the Titans is also, is also about the coach. It's about Herman Boone, but I remember PD. I remember Louis Lastic. I remember Rev. Which is which is fine
3: overall for the story, but both of our movies tell the same story overall, which is hard work earns over and earns everything and everything. It comes down to kind of the same movie. So I think the one that should be awarded the best sports movie is the one that actually inspires a sense of trueness, a sense of realness, a sense of real life. The one that doesn't have to strip away, fake and add corny characters or anything else added to it in order to make it a compelling and thrilling story.
4: But again, it doesn't matter what's actually true, what actually happened. It matters what the actual movie is. And ultimately, what Remember the Titans is about, it's about racial harmony and working together. It is about working together, but it's about working together despite differences, despite everything else. It's about putting that away and being yourself while still being an individual, while still being yourself, but working together to compete the goal. When the Titans win... That's not just them winning, that's winning for integration in general. When Miracle wins, when the team in Miracle wins, they just win.
3: No, but they no. the movie did such a great job with presenting the America's viewpoint of the Cold War at that time, of how much Russia was a scary presence overall, and the fact that these college nobodies could work together and beat this unstoppable Russian force is so beautifully portrayed, where at the end, you're rooting for these, for these underdogs, because they actually are true underdogs, where unlike the Remember the Titans, who were never underdogs in any of the games that they ever played ever, which is fine, again, but it still doesn't hold a candle to the fact that this was a very real story.
4: This is a very this was a real Disney sports movie in real life, which is an amazing. I mean, remember the Titans is based on a true story. You can say they changed this thing, but they and at the end of the day, remember the Titans is still based on a true story. There are a lot of true elements about it. And I think again, uh, with remember the Titans, they were kind of underdogs. Nobody believed that they were gonna be able to work together and they pulled it off. Yes, were they the best team in the field? Absolutely, but it was a case of if they lost one game. Herman Boone was going to be out of there. They were at the edge of their rope. Every single game mattered. It wasn't just the one big match as they prepare for. Every single moment mattered. They couldn't have one single misstep and they
3: had to over but then they had to come in miracle it was the same basic concept but the fact that Russia came to New, that came to New York to play an exhibition game a few weeks earlier and uh, then and the miracle team got their butts kicked 10-3 to 3 in hockey that's insane and the fact that very truly they come back just a few weeks later to win that game is nothing short of incredible it was an actual miracle I'm sorry but remember the Titans has to emotionally manipulate you in order for you to blow in the story which is such Berthier's accident did not happen before the final game it happened way later um after the season was over which is fine but it just it just manipulates into thinking that there's actual conflict in the final match where mine actually had
4: final conflict in its true underdog story but again that's a true story it be it's not the most accurate the question is not most accurate disney live action sports movie i don't really care that it's not accurate this is the most watchable most enjoyable the best made movie if a movie is not a true story, it doesn't matter to the quality of the movie because at the end of the day, it's a great movie. Your movie, again, has characters who I don't really care about the team. We care about Kurt Russell winning, but we don't really care about the team itself winning. That's the biggest problem. There's no individuality in the characters themselves.
3: Because the movie is based around Kurt Russell. You want him to win. Everything is based around him to win, and you learn about his backstory and his drive in order to come out on top of the end, and he does. All right,
0: we're gonna start with Jacoby. You have one minute when you start talking.
3: I think both of our movies are actually, I think, really similar, not just in terms of plot and story, which they are immensely, but also in how they inspire us. Both movies teach us about hard work, dedication, and working together, I think, in order to achieve greatness. Both of our movies are anchored by strong performances, by the hardest-nails coaches who want to push their players to greatness. So why is Miracle the better Disney sports film? Because it shows how impactful and how powerful an actual true story can be. It's fine that Disney wants to cut and hack true stories to make something emotionally inspiring. But besides that being a little dangerous to how we view history, the best Disney sports film should be the one that doesn't have to do that. Miracle is a movie that finds the emotional, inspiring core story by focusing on the right character, the coach. It's fine that the other characters aren't well-developed because the point of the fact is that it's the coach. Um, and so Miracle transcends what a typical Disney sports movie can Five. be. I love Remember the Titans for what it is, but I want to remember them accurately. But Miracle is the best Time. Disney sports film. Okay.
0: Whoops. Uh, so, Boatman, you have one minute to close whenever you start talking.
4: If I want accuracy, at the end of the day, I can go read the story of the Titans. We're talking about best movie here. We're talking about quality of characters, quality of acting. Remember, the Titans is a movie that is about the coach, but it still keeps the side characters interesting. It still keeps Louis Lasset, Gary Bartier, all those characters dynamic. They all have their own pathways, while still keeping the main focus on Herman Boone. That is the main thing. Miracles, a film that, while... Yes, there are elements of a true story. Ultimately, I could have just read the true story. Remember, the Titans is a film that ultimately is entertaining as a movie. It is the best movie. It is the the best Disney live-action sports film because it is the film that gathers all the cinematic elements together and does them each perfectly. That's why Remember, the Titans is the best Disney live-action sports film.
0: Okay. Ending about five seconds early, bringing in the judges for this last um, press question. I get to start on this
1: one. Uh, yeah, I, oh, I had to break the tie. Let me go. You you follow follow where you get to tear apart. We've all broken tied.
0: the. We've all been yeah. the one to not vote once, but that's fine. You go
1: right ahead. You go yeah, after, right I, after I after you go that, right ahead, off. sir. Yeah, I'm not putting being put back in that situation. Um uh, Maggie in that situation. That's fine. I'm okay with that. You have a little bit about me. Um <laughs> this is a really bold strategy by Bowman. Basically saying, you know, the he started with saying let's the sports is fine, but the, the overall thing, like it stands alone as a movie without the sports in it, which is not the question. But then he kind of didn't pl- focus on that and started, you know, he took on to the argument. There's a hard, there's a hard argument is if realism, like if the realistic matters in the movie, and I don't think it honestly does, but I honestly, I believe that Jacoby painted the picture of why Miracle is honestly the best Disney sports movie for because I think he tackled what the world of the sport really meant. And I think the, one of the key moments of the match was when, J- when Bowman said, It focuses on the coach, and Jacoby was able to counter that, in yes, because this is about the team, and that's the smartest strategy, and I think that was a beautiful rebuttal, and it kind of set the groundwork for the rest of the match. So I give my point to Jacoby.
0: All right. Well, I'm going next. Okay. Uh, I'm apparently on just crazy acid pills tonight because I'm not agreeing with anybody. I'm actually going, Boatman. Sorry, Maggie. Uh, but I'm going Bowman. I thought that Jacoby's argument about not, he he kept going back to the well on it being, you know, remember the Titans isn't real enough. Like that didn't really hold any weight for me as an argument. Bowman was very easily able to be like, this is, that doesn't matter. We're talking about the best movie um and he brought up a lot of different characters in the movie and about why uh when the team wins you're uh, happy they win um so i i'm in the end giving my vote so uh maggie it is up to you, mm-hmm. you
2: this is very rude of you to do this to me i'm
0: so um, sorry no, you're
2: not. um I am, so they both obviously did very well. It was a good argument. This whole match has been really good. Um, But I think I'm also going to give my point to Bowman because I agree that Jacoby got really hung up on the accuracy of the movie. And I don't think that that was a good place to get stuck. His closing argument really sort of came out of that, which was good. But I think that Bowman just had the stronger argument about the movie generally being better and i know cody apparently disagrees with the statement but his statement in the opening argument where he said that you know a good sports movie is good if you can take the sports out of it and it's still a good story and i actually agree with that because you don't want to be watching a movie where it's just i could watch sports if i wanted to watch sports um so uh for that reason i'm gonna go with bowman
0: okay well We're going to. That's it. We
3: tie, right? Like that's it. Yeah. Can we just go in? in? I'd rather that
0: you're both gonna play uh, somebody else uh, you're it's gonna be another three round that or another oh, three person well, I
4: hope I hope whoever else i play played drops out again
0: <laughs> there you go and then you two can just play again uh, so we are going to the speed round uh, the way this is gonna work Cody correct me if I'm wrong uh, we are going you guys are going to get 45 seconds to open an argument whoever says an answer first after I ask the question is going to go first Uh the second person will then get to rebuttal 45 seconds, and then you will both have 30 seconds to close. Cody, is that correct? That I think we've done
1: 40, 30, but it's not a, I, don't, I don't actually know what the actual time limit is. So 45 sounds perfect. Let's go. 45. 30. Let's do it.
0: Okay, so um, do you both understand how this is going to work?
3: I mean, we both pick, and it's not like I just like if whoever says first then starts talking for forty five seconds, right?
0: No, 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 no. no. So if yeah, I said
3: if I said the question was what's the best
0: Star Wars movie, and Boatman says Phantom, the Menace. Phantom Menace, he has to it's then argue. He has to then argue that first after you pick your answer.
3: Got it. Just I okay. figured,
0: just wanted to be sure. Great. Okay, so uh, guys, we have your speed round question. So again, whoever says something first is going first. Please be Game of Thrones. (laughs) The category is Pixar. Fuck. The question is, who is the best Pixar main character?
1: What do you...
3: Uh, Lightning McQueen Okay So
0: Boatman you get 45 seconds Uh, I'll stay on screen For this whole speed round just to give you guys A countdown but Boatman you get 45 seconds Whenever you start talking
4: Woody is a character that has to go on such a journey throughout the four movies. Ultimately, you have the first one where he has to learn to accept Buzz and realize, and learn to share the spotlight and realize that he's not the one, you know, person that matters to Andy anymore and share with Buzz and learn to love Buzz. In the second one, he has to kind of learn to let Andy go. In and the third one, uh he you know, he has to realize a lot of things about uh really just everyone as a whole and uh, Andy really the second one he has to learn Why a toy is a toy the third one he really has to learn to let and you go and the fourth one He has to learn that he is not just he has to learn his own path away from the rest of the group
0: All right time Jacoby 45 seconds when you start talking
3: I was surprised I chose this because I'm not a big fan of the Cars franchise overall. But Lightning McQueen itself, if you look at his arc between movies one, two, and three, it's actually one of the best individual arcs of a character ever. From where he starts to where he ends, when it's starting off as just as a as a cocky racer who doesn't know respect, who only cares about himself, that and he, and he learns from Doc Hudson that he what what it takes to be a good racer. It's an amazing character change. It continues on in in, in uh, Cars two, where he learns how to be a better friend to Mater, which continues on the themes of the first one, and then in the third one to go to an even greater standpoint where not only does he have to deal with his mortality and where he he goes from here and to continue to race, but rather he makes the very bold and brave choice to step back and become a mentor to the new wave of racers. Overall, as a story arc, it is the most complete and best. Time. Boatman, 30 seconds when you start.
4: Ultimately, uh, Lightning and Queen's journey in the first Cars is a journey that we've seen before. Uh, you know, cocky asshole becomes actually like a nice person. And that's just something we've seen before. With Cars 2, he's just completely put to the side and he's not actually doing anything. He's just there for some stupid jokes. He doesn't actually matter. In Cars 3. He's just doing, he's Doc Hudson this time. Like, that's all he's doing. It's essentially he's in the position that he was in the first cars. So ultimately, I mean, Queen is a dumb character with a dumb voice. by the Time. Jacoby,
0: 30 seconds when you start.
3: Woody had a great arc in the first three in the first three Toy Stories, but then the fourth one kind of tacked on a new character development for him that didn't quite work to the best of his extremes. Whereas Lightning McQueen had a very complete character arc in the first through the third movie, even in the second movie where he's just a friend and side role, it plays on to the lessons he learned from the first one, which makes him a more cohesive character going from movie to movie to movie. The fact that he was able to give up his role in the racing in the end of in the end of Cars three is even um, is more amazing when you look at how far he came in the first Cars movie lightning time is good
0: time scratch whatever jacoby said at the end there judges
3: i said lightning mcqueen is good so no, all
0: right Not good. Um, okay I maggie i will let you go first since you were tiebreaker no! last time.
2: can i go second
0: Okay, fine. I'll go, okay. I'll go first then, I guess. I have go, to I'll think go. about
2: it for a second. Then I'll go
0: You're first. forcing this on me. I have my decision. I'll go first. I'm okay. giving it to Jacoby. <laughs> Fucking call me a crazy madman um, because I hate Lightning McQueen in the cars. But he painted the picture of his arc from one, two, and three. Boatman just kind of said a couple things about Woody in his opening, didn't really say anything about Lightning McQueen, and then spent his entire um, third last 30 seconds, didn't say a peep about Woody, and just you know had a couple things to say about why you know um uh, Lightning McQueen is something we've seen before in other movies i think that jacoby did a really good job of just saying like this is lightning mcqueen's arc this is why it's good in a series of bad movies and um and the, and then this is why woody's arc over the course of the four films isn't as good so surprisingly i'm giving it to jacoby so um maggie i will go to you next now
2: yeah okay so I think that they're both great characters, um, and they both do, as you both mentioned, have really incredible journeys over a large span of movies, um, but I think that I'm going to agree with Tim and give the point to Jacoby, because while Bowman did paint the picture in his opening, he did have a good jab at um, Lightning McQueen, being that he's not really in the second Cars movie, but I think that Jacoby had a really great reward that and um really emphasize um lightning queen's journey and why it's such like the the completeness of his arc and how he really came far over the three movies
0: all right well with that that means your winner is jacoby bancroft cody
1: your vote did not count where would you have gone I can do the classic third judge thing where I'm like, well, I was crazy Boatman. Clearly, these guys don't know what to do. No, but honestly, I would have went with Jacoby. I thought it was the stupidest strategy I've ever heard when I heard Lightning McQueen come out of his mouth. I was like, well, this is a KO. Congratulations, Bowman And I think, honestly, this happened so much in debate. I think Bowman in his head thought the exact same thing we all thought because Woody versus Lightning is not even a close call. But with him being able to go second, he was able to formulate a plan, and the only shot was Doc Hudson, which is honestly the racer you see in the first movie to become Doc Hudson. No one would have thought coming. So Jacoby, hands down, fantastic speed round. That was, that was brilliant. All right. So with that, we will start a post-match
0: interview starting with uh, Jacoby. Jacoby, how are you feeling about a uh, now 3-0 and run in Nerdgasm?
3: Uh, t- uh, terrified, because I agree with you. I hate Lightning McQueen, too. I hated it. I hated saying it, and I was so nervous to say that, but... Um, I just felt I could argue that he had the arc. So I just I went for it. And I felt knowing that how good of an argument Boatman was going to have against Woody, I needed to kind of take a little uh, curveball and 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 try something new and see if it worked out. And I'm just very thankful that it did.
0: Yeah, I was surprised too when you said it because in my brain I'm like, oh, he's going to go you know, Mr. Incredible or Remy the Rat or whatever and then Lightning McQueen came out and I went, okay, this is going to be interesting but it worked out in your favor. Um, So next, Jacoby, you have either Kurt Kolkowski or Nico Suave-Rigoli. You have one of those two people as your next opponent. Is there one you would rather face over the other? Are you nervous for either of those matches?
3: Um, one I'm nervous all the time every second of every day and two yes bring me Kirk I want to face Kirk because I doubt I could beat him in a trivia match um, even though I want to so maybe I could beat him in a debate match because the same thing happened with Boatman don't think I can beat him in a, in a trivia match but I'm glad I could beat him in a debate match uh, so over out of those two bring me Kirk and and it will be a epic battle of the ages of true rivals all right. Sounds good. Uh, we will see what
0: happens in two weeks with that match. So uh, we will find out who you're facing very soon. But Jacoby, congrats on winning today. We will see you in a few weeks with your next match. Uh, next, we are going to move over to Lil Bo- Boatman. Uh, Boatman, you played a hell of a game. Um, you missed the first two questions, uh, but you put up a hell of a fight and both of them came back to get the last two didn't quite work out for you in the speed round, but how are you feeling overall today? No,
4: I, I feel good. Jacoby's a great debater, so it, it just sucks being 1-1, one one because now it means I won't be back for a while, and I enjoy playing. Uh, So, so you know, that is... It, it just, it's not fun being a 1-0 oh, having to play a 2-0, and oh, and especially when that 2-0 oh is, is a skilled debater like Jacoby. I think this match could have gone... I, I mean, it went to the wire for a reason. I think uh, Jacoby's a fantastic debater. Um, But, you know, it was, it was a good match. I think... I I think for someone who has never seen Game of Thrones, I think I did the most good I could do with Googling things about season six and season four. And literally for my opening argument reading segments of Collider's uh ranking of the season. Oh, God. I had nothing to go off of. I had never... You're asking me to watch seasons of a television show. I'm sorry. I don't have time to do that.
0: That's fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, But... I know that, uh, yes, one-and-one one, uh, puts you in a position where you're not going to be back for a while, but that, uh, that little while is actually probably towards the end of this season when we have another run of people like the one-and-ones, the one-and-twos. Uh, we do have room for those at the end of the season after our next uh, debut set of people. Uh, so uh, we might see you back at the end of this season, if not early next season. So is there anybody that you would just have a, a dream match could debate against? Who'd
4: give me be? Nico. Give me Nico.
0: Give me Nico. I want Nico. if if Nico loses against Kirk, I'd be happy to give you Nico and uh, have Jacoby play Kirk. I think that's a great uh, double set if that were to happen. Absolutely. But you don't want Kirk if. Oh no! Kirk thank loses. you. No. Got it. Understood. No. Well, if that happens, I'd be happy to do it. We can make it happen. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we are going to throw it back to the judges real quick for closing. Cody, any final thoughts about the match?
1: Um, two things: Nico versus Bowman is a clear, easy schedule. I don't see any issue with that. As uh, I think that we have a fun match. Uh, I don't think it will end well, but it's going to be a fun match. And uh, the second thing is, Nico, Kirk, and no offense, also yourself, needs to watch out. Jacoby is no joke in this league, and, and I. Yeah, I would be afraid to play Jacoby Bancroft right now because like there are certain debaters like you and him are two in this league that scare me. And like that's you guys prep so well. That's I I'm hoping that's the finals. I really am hoping that's the finals. But it's gonna be a damn good championship match if that's actually how it breaks down.
0: Yeah, at this point, Jacoby's got either Kirk or Nico next, like we said. The winner of that match is up against Robert Parker in a number one contenders match, and then it plays uh, plays me for a title. So uh, I'm afraid of all of the people. I'm always afraid to ask my wife. Speaking of which, Maggie, what did you think of the match overall?
2: Yeah, I think it was a great match. I think that all of them were really, really close questions. They all had really coherent arguments, um, even though Bowman was reading from the internet i guess um but uh overall yeah i think both competitors are great i would love to see boatman play nico that would be very enjoyable um and i look forward to see what um uh jacoby does next
0: yeah i mean uh boatman was reading from the internet but at least he was reading factual things from the internet unlike caleb coho when he debates when he just pulls (laughs) random things that aren't true and says them hoping that the judges will listen and go Oh, so, I bet was terrible. Yeah, we'll yeah, that too. All right. Well, guys, thank you for another episode of Nerdgasm. This has been a great match. We will be back in two weeks with the aforementioned Kirk versus Nico. So be on the lookout for that. It's going to be really, really great. I hope it hasn't happened yet. But uh, that was Cody. That was Maggie. And that was our winner, Jacoby Bancroft, and our unfortunate loser today, Caleb Boatman. I have been Timbercala. Thank you
1: guys so much for watching another Nerdgasm, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye.